Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, Sad, Confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, a special live event with Samuel L. Jackson, plus a catch-up with Sebastian Stan. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another jam-packed edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. So much entertainment for your ears today, guys. I don't know what to tell you. This is a good one. This is a special one. Okay, so here's what we got cooking for you. First up, as I promised, a little catch-up. This is like, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes just catching up with our, our good friend, Mr. Sebastian Stan. Um, he has had a busy couple months. He recently appeared in Pam and Tommy, which just ended its run. Um, you can still catch that on television. But more to the point... His new film has just dropped on Hulu. I believe it's also in some theaters. It is called Fresh. It is a wacko kind of surprising drama, comedy, horror film. It's one of those films that the less said about it, the better. I went in pretty cold, not knowing much about it, except that Sebastian was in it. And really, it was the, he, he's really the co-star. The leading lady in the film is Daisy Edgar-Jones, who you might know from Normal People and some other stuff. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a relationship um, story um, that takes some surprising turns. Sebastian's character... Um, it may not be what he seems to be, but see, I don't want to say, I feel like I'm already saying too much. All you need to know, a cool, weird, kind of fucked up movie called Fresh is on Hulu. It's ready for you right now. Watch it. Check it out. It's another great performance from Sebastian, and uh, it afforded us the opportunity to have a little catch-up. And Sebastian, I've done a lot with over the years. He is always a delight. I know you guys hearing from him, so I felt like, you know, even if it's a shorter conversation, we don't have time for the big one. Um, it's always worth catching up with him. So uh, you can enjoy that. That's first up on the podcast. So after that conversation, though, is a, a big old career conversation with a guy that really merits a career conversation. We did another live event. As you guys know by now, I've been starting to do these. I did one with Sam Hewen uh, about a week and a half ago, and now we have the Samuel L. Jackson event, which uh, was such a delight. So cool. Um, Samuel L. Jackson has done it all. I mean, he is the $27 billion man. Yes, that's how much his films have grossed, the most by far of any actor. He has been in franchise movies. He's been in cool indie movies. He's worked with Tarantino and Spike Lee many times. And he's kind of the king of cool. He has the swagger, he has the attitude, and he's got the chops to back it up. And um, the conversation at the Y was just fantastic. Uh, we really dug deep into his beginnings, into his personal um, difficulties. He's very open about that. I mean, the man had some really severe substance abuse issues before getting it together uh, in his early 40s. And then seeing his career take off, it's, it's kind of an inspirational story. He, um, he has starred now in a new series that's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's just debuted. The first couple episodes, I believe, are on there right now. I've watched the whole thing. It's called The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. It's an intense show, guys. It's a, you know, it's a drama. It is based on a Walter Mosley book. It does have some whiteness as it goes. Stick with it. Um, but at the center of it, it features a, just another dynamite performance from Sam Jackson, uh, who plays the, uh, the character of the title, Ptolemy Gray, who is an elderly man in his early 90s who suffers a loss and is also suffering dementia. Uh, real stuff. And, uh, you know, we kind of see him get the opportunity to recall um, parts of his life that he hasn't been able to. And um, it's a real 
great character portrait. Um, it is a passion project for Sam. He, his life uh, has been touched by many family members who've wrestled with Alzheimer's and dementia. And uh, it's great to see him sort of like, you know, flex this different side of himself. Because certainly he's done the Marvel and the Star Wars stuff, and I love that stuff. But it's also cool to see him do kind of like real juicy, dramatic work. And he's getting rave reviews for it. He's getting an honorary Oscar in just a few weeks. So, um, yeah, that, that this was a really special event. But the one thing I will say is um, you'll hear us reference the fact that the audience at the 90 Second Street Wide has just seen the first episode. But don't worry about that. The conversation is broader enough that I don't think you'll have to have seen any episodes of the show to really uh, get something out of it. Certainly, if you want to check out the first episode before listening to our chat, all the better. But um, no prior homework is required. So that's the show. Lots going on. I'm going to get right to it, even though there's always other stuff to talk about. I, I want to, you know, get right to the main events, two main events today. Um, as always, I want to remind you guys, check out our Patreon page because we have video versions of both these conversations there. You can watch the hour-long chat with Sam Jackson. You can watch the chat with Sebastian Stan. You can watch our game nights. We have a new game night up with four of the stars of Outlander. Um, Sophie Skelton, Cesar Domboy, Rick Rankin, and did I say Sophie Skelton? And Lauren Lyle. That's, those are the four. Yeah, that was so much fun. Uh, check that out. We also have a new episode of Game Night going up any day now. I'll say it here. Why not? Because I'm really excited about it. It's, it's uh, with three of my favorite um, comic actors, Taryn Killam, Sam Richardson, and Ike Barinholtz. Uh, Sam and Ike are starring on The After Party, um, and that's a really, really fun game night. Maybe my favorite one. Don't tell the other actors that I've been on, but it's one of my favorite ones. I'll say that. Anyway, that's patreon.com slash happy say confused. Uh, the link to that is in the show notes. Uh, is that it? I don't know. Too much going on, guys. Um, let's get to our first conversation. You're going to hear me and Sebastian Stan, and right thereafter, you're going to hear uh, me and Mr. Samuel L. Jackson live at the 92nd Street Y. Here's me and Sebastian. We don't have time for the full podcast, but Sebastian stands here for just a little amuse-bouche. A little, I needed to give a little love to this crazy, fucked-up movie that you did, man. This is a, this is a special one. Oh, right. <laughs> so, I remember, that's, we had, I guess we, were talk, we talked about another thing last time I saw you. It was, it was Pam and Tommy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, which uh, obviously uh, continues as well. But this one, man, this caught me off guard. And I think it's, I, I'm debating, like, what do people, what should, what should people know going into Fresh? I mean, you're the, you're the star. Only with Daisy, what do, um, what do they need to I know? Think, I think the the less the less is better. I think you know um, because uh, because it sort of is a, a movie that plays on expectation and projection and kind of um, the the misconception uh, that we often make about people and and what we think uh, how we think things will turn out and then they don't. <laughs> so <laughs> to say the least, it, yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you so, a good judge of character right off the bat? Can you can you read somebody be like, oh, this is a good person or this is there's something? I think, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certain things that I feel really right. I mean, that, <laughs> red flags that kind of we know off the bat. But but the subtler cues, I think, are difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's always you notice with with uh, yourself, uh, like everybody, we sort of have these patterns sometimes of, of certain energies or certain people that you attract and then you kind of have to kind of peel back and 
figure out why. But I, I guess with age, I've gotten a little bit better at that, you know? Well, and I, I bet you can apply that. I'm just thinking about this off the top of my head, like to this kind of thing of talking to journalists and talking to reporters. It's like you probably have a nose by now for the ones that are like, oh, they're 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 going to corner me. They're, they, they have it. They have an angle here. And there's I, a little bit of a. I don't know I, that. I don't know that really? that I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure anymore with with journalists. I, I, I just, I, I think I always just kind of try and stick, keep an open mind there, you know, but I think, but I, I definitely feel that uh, even sometimes it's like people will walk up to me now randomly and just start talking because they'll be like, Oh, we should talk. And, and, and I'll be like, this is nice, but um, why should we talk? <laughs> uh, I mean, Cause I guess I'm the guy, you know, I was that yeah. guy in the thing and, but, but, but um, it, it's interesting because we all, we all have a way to sort of, you know, we, you learn how to, you learn this in high school when you're a kid, right. You, you learn kind of the things that work for you or that don't, if, you know, even with teachers or authority figures or other friends, you know, to be cool or to be accepted or whatever you, you sort of pick up certain things that you feel are, if you put them forward are going to, make you more approachable, more acceptable or whatever. And, and so we, we all have those character things that we do that maybe are not really intrinsically right. truthful to who we really are or, or how we really behave when we're finally with someone for a longer period of time. But this movie is very much based on um, kind of um, that initial intense connection that you might have with somebody, which um can feel honest in the moment but but then uh, you know the, as more time goes by you wonder how compatible you really are yeah if there's a message here it's never trust the the super charming guy in the grocery store there there's Ex- exactly um <laughs> the look meat around cute. i yeah. mean you know they meet on in the vegetable section which one would think is a safe place to meet um it's not sort of you know, in the medical aisle or any other. So, but still vegetables, still a problem. Now we know. So yeah, we're dancing around it and I'm going to continue to, because I, I, like I said, I think the best way, at least from my perspective going in is to know as little as possible, but Daisy Edgar Jones is on the dating scene. She meets the dashing Sebastian Stan um, in the grocery aisle in the, in the vegetable aisle. Things are not necessarily what they seem. And it takes some really amazing turns for her, your character, um, and I mean, I, look, I'm a sucker. Drive My Car did this too recently where they dropped the credits like 30 minutes into the film. I'm like, yeah, a, that was, that was a, definitely a credit there goes to our director, Mimi Cave, who I thought had figured that out so brilliantly in, in kind of with the movie. And just, I think with her editor halfway through, they just were like, you know, this might be a really fun way to kind of pull the rug from underneath people. So, and it's effective, yeah. When it works, when a filmmaker knows how to do it in the right way, it's so great. Like, I mean, when you think back, I know you're obviously a movie buff like myself. Like, are there some like big twist moments in film history that jump out at you that like knocked your socks off, that blew your mind, whether it's a twist ending, whether it's, you know, old school psycho killing Janet um, Lee? Like, what's what, what are the kind of like moments in film that stick out for you? I'm trying to think. I mean, right off the top of my head right now, I, I don't know why my mind just went to sliding doors. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting movie because you think how those little coincidences or are they coincidences sort of can throw your life in 
in one way or not. Um, I have to think about that. I mean, I guess there were a lot of thrillers growing up that, uh, you know, I like Silence of the Lambs. I mean, Fatal Attraction. There were there were there were some in the 90s, right? There were some of those thriller movies that had had sort of themes like that we're exploring. Yeah, this one. I mean, we were talking about this when we were talking about Pam and Tommy. These two projects, they don't share much in common, except I would say they're both big swings for you. And they're audacious kind of like, you know, if you're going to do it, you have to like commit 150%. Do they, I mean, when you look back at the, at the most satisfying acting experiences for you, is there like a correlation between like really putting yourself out on a limb, like kind of like chasing the fear and satisfaction as an actor? I, yeah, absolutely. Because I don't, I don't really quite know if satisfaction as an actor is ever really achievable. I, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. really don't. I, I, I keep thinking that it's going to get to this place where you're, you're, you know, you feel fully satisfied. But I actually think that's a good thing. I, w- I would be more scared of getting to a weird, satisfied place because then I feel like you'd get comfortable and sort of complacent or something but i so i i do i do enjoy things that are that that feel very uh raw or or they feel sort of that that they're scary in a way um it's usually a good barometer for me to kind of in terms of maybe deciding to commit to something uh especially something that i don't know enough about or i feel feels very very uh alien or foreign to me then then there's a challenge there and sort of it piques the curiosity and you want to go and explore and learn and sort of, it's, it's kind of, that's what it is. It should be always some, some kind of learning. It's crazy. Cause I, I, I don't, I, I was not like the greatest student uh, in high school. I never, I didn't really particularly enjoy kind of going home and like studying or learning something, but now I'm much more, I'm much more curious to kind of want to go. It, it, it helps when you're, when you want to learn things, you want to learn about people or things or circumstances, you know, let, 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 let's dip in our toe into the, the other side of your life that is always there, the, the Marvel side. I'm just curious, as an actor, do you have a handle on like, there's so much out there. Even as a fan, I have trouble now keeping up with everything and understanding the multiverse and what's happening and who's where and what's what. Like, I'm just curious for you, do you feel like you have a handle on the MCU right now on what's happening? I certainly do need to do some my. I'm catching up myself. Um, I know I'm, I'm a little behind on a couple of things, but, but I, yeah, I, I'm so always amazed and in awe of, of just the massive universe of it all that, that sort of, they were able to build that Kevin kind of came up with and, and because it, it, it does span over 10, 12, 15, you know, so it's a lot of years that went into the making. And, and so I always get a little nostalgic about that, but I think it's an evolving thing and I think you do have to keep up to date with it. But then I also feel like they do such a great job immediately filling you in, even if you've yes. sort of missed out something, but, but it doesn't sound like people are missing out I and mean, people are staying <laughs> pretty connected to it. So have you ever done scenes where you I mean, don't- I always have to catch up on Tom Hiddleston uh, because <laughs> uh, I know he's uh, always out there. Uh, taking swings himself. Of course, of course. Have you have you ever done a scene where you don't even understand like what you're saying? Like you don't understand the context of the words and you're just like, someone on set just has to be like, Sebastian, I just need you to say, 
I need you to grab the amulet from this place. <laughs> Trust me, it will make sense later. No, I, I can't. I, I have to I, I have to understand what I'm doing, which is why the the Avengers and Endgame was really kind of tough when we were sh- shooting it, when we started shooting it, because, you know, a lot of us didn't read the scripts. I think right. there were only a few people that had read them. And I was like, fuck, I can't, you know, I, I just have to. I mean, granted, it was the Russos and there were a lot of trusting people, but but there was um, I'm usually I need to know what's going on so I can kind of. Yeah. When it when when the Marvel tenure is officially done, is that going to be? I would be. I, I would imagine it's going to be a mixed bag because you have this kind of security blanket now, where like you know, like every six months, a year, eighteen months, you're going to go back to something that has this like insane fan base that will always be there for you. At the same time, you want to flex these other muscles. Like it, there must be a bit of a yin and the yang of like where you're at now with Marvel. Give me a sense of like what you're feeling about that place in your life right now. I'm, uh, it really is a day at a time. And, and, and I, 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 this is not, this is not a, uh, a job that I ever felt uh, there, you know, there's a security blanket because it it just, every time it's, it's sort of, you're lucky to kind of get another round at it. Another, another kind of, swing at it whatever the job may be because and, and it's there's so it's so difficult to make i feel like projects that even people respond to or that they see because uh, there's a lot going on out there you could work on something that's unbelievable you put your heart into it then nobody sees it and it's heartbreaking and it's other in, in another way but but then of course if you're lucky to be part of something that people respond to there's there's a very gratifying feeling but it, it's not um because so much of it is out of my control. All I can really control is sort of um, what's, what's 10 feet in front of me. (laughs) And so, and kind of, that's how I focus. I just sort of focus on what's going on now and, and hope for the best. Have I, have I lost you from New York? Have you moved? What's, what's home base for you now, buddy? No, 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 no. I can't ever leave New York. Okay, good. That's not happening. Um, I see a little sun out there. So the spring is coming. Come back, buddy. It's beautiful here. It's time. (laughs) I'll be ready for spring and summer. Absolutely. And what's in the can beyond uh, uh, fresh right now? Did you do the the film with Brady, Brady Corbett? No, I mean, that one we're still trying trying to mount off. Um, There's a couple projects like that that I've been really passionate about that sort of still have to find their home and their financing. I'm just really excited for people going back to the movies. Yeah. Obviously Batman this weekend. I really want to see that. I, I mean, again, Spider-Man, people went to see that people went, people are going to the movies again. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that, that we can continue to do that because I, I think it, it's been a tricky time for a lot of projects to sort of find a home and find out whether they're going to go that theater route or, 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 you know, go on the streamers because our business has changed and stuff. I mean, I think with fresh, we're very lucky in a way. I know, I know Mimi and Pavel, our DP sort of shot the hell out of it. I mean, there is an experience of this movie on a, on a big screen because we saw test audiences go into the theater and, and, and see this film. And there's that communal kind of response that selfishly I'm a little sad we we might not get but but I'm excited for people to still see it in any way shape or form so yeah. 
but we can't lose the movie. We, we can't lose the movie theater. You know, we need to kind of, there's something about going there and, and sitting there in the dark for two and a half hours, or in some cases, three, where, <laughs> um, where you're just not looking at your phone and you're, yeah. and you're with friends. And it's this thing of just kind of like, are you seeing this? You know? No, as you can imagine, you're, you're preaching the, to the converted buddy. Um, last thing for you. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a special event soon with uh, Samuel L. Jackson soon. I'm curious. Oh. You've worked with Sam a bunch, obviously in the Marvel films, but also in another film. Um, yeah. What's it like to hold the screen, to hold the scene with Sam Jackson, who, from my experience, man, he's an intense dude. He, he does not suffer fools. What's it like working on set with Sam Jackson? How do you keep up with that man? I, well, I, I, I think it's obviously it's uh, you got to bring your A game. I mean, he's not, he's going to probably, he's going to be there on time. He's going to know all his lines. He's going to know your lines and um, you, you got to be there in the moment with him. You, 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 Cause if not, you, you'll get lost and you'll get left behind. But at the same time, I, I feel that he has fun and I think he yeah. enjoys the movies and i think and and he loves going to to see the movies after he actually sits i, I remember he saw um all the winter soldier movies and and the avengers and stuff he's seen it every time he sits through <laughs> and there's something really kind of amazing about that so he enjoys it and i think he loves it and and he loves working and and um but but so so as long as you kind of keep some fun and, and, and keep keep an open mind there i think it, it, it's a very gratifying experience but um i don't yeah he's done so many great movies it's just yeah. crazy when you look back. A legend. A oh legend. this is a cool thing you're you're doing this thing one-on-one -on -one with him yeah we're doing some live events here in new york at the 92nd street y for for uh, oh, yeah. podcast. so next time you're in town buddy let's make it happen i love the 90, uh, 92nd y and you know the energy of, it, of a live great. audience it's nice to talk to you in a zoom box but sometimes a big crowd it's fun to feed off of that that would be great if you do something there of course that'd be great Amazing. Amazing. Thanks for the time as always, buddy. Uh, you're on a great run, man. All these really cool, weird, fun projects. Uh, everybody should check out uh, Fresh. It's on Hulu. I think it is getting a bit of a theatrical also from Fox Searchlight. Um, check it out however you can. And uh, I'll see you on the next one, buddy. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, I hope it's not too long, but hopefully in person. Definitely. Definitely. I'll see All you right. on the New York street. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Hi guys, um, thank you. Hello New York, uh, hello to our virtual audience watching at home. Um, welcome to another very special live edition of Happy Say I Confused at the 92nd Street Y. Yes. Um, this is a very special evening indeed. Um, this man has brought more joy, I think, to me than any other actor I can think of. He has the resume of dreams. Um, I mean, his collaborations uh, with Spike Lee, Quentin Tarantino, M. Night Shyamalan, his work in franchises like Marvel and Star Wars. Um, he, he's getting an honorary Oscar way overdue this year. He's starring, yes! He is starring in a true passion project from the great Walter Mosley, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, uh, debuting on Apple TV Plus. You guys here in New York have just seen the first episode. You know it's a special piece of work. Uh, let's bring him out, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Samuel L. Jackson. Wow, people. 
Good evening. <laughs> they liked the show. They stayed. How was that? You stayed. Yeah. Um, yeah. It gets brighter, believe me. It's a little triggering, that first episode, but it gets brighter. <laughs> I can attest to that. I've been uh, privileged enough to see the whole series. It's a, it's a great piece of work, man. Thank you for the time tonight. Oh. Um, I'll start with this. In a recent profile, Sam, you said, quote, people are always calling me about doing a podcast, but I can't talk for an hour without saying something effed up. <laughs> well, I've got I'm you. pretty sure I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got you for the hour, so good luck to you, sir. Okay, all right. I'm <laughs> doing my best. Let's start with this great uh, show. As I said, it comes from uh, a work by Walter Mosley, one of our finest writers. Um, you know, there are different reasons to do different projects, and I know this one goes back 10, 12 years. Mm. Talk to me about how you first encountered the material and, and why it was something that you were so passionate about. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how I first encountered it. I, I read a lot. Uh, unfortunately, I guess, or, or fortunately for me, it keeps my mind fresh and it keeps that thing away from me, I hope. Right. Um, but um, I, I'm, I'm sure I read a review of the book somewhere and I just you know, downloaded it to my Kindle and um, read it. And I was in the middle of episodes of um, Alzheimer's and dementia with my grandfather uh, and watching him deteriorate and as he got worse and got to a point when he finally passed and my mom started to, and then her sister and her brother had already been through it. So I realized I was in the middle of something like that and reading that story uh, didn't give me insight to what was happening in their heads, but it gave me um, a compassionate thought about how I needed to react to what was going on with them uh, in terms of what they taught me and um, the compassion and nurturing nature of my life through those people meant that I had to learn how to use those things that they had given me to, to be with them right. or to, to, to make their last days somewhat of a comfort. Uh, and in the middle of that was, you know, that little mystery of who did what, you know, or uh, what's, what is the, the thing that's, 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 that's driving uh, Ptolemy, the thing that bothers him most that makes Koi Dog continue to come and bug him and nanner in his ear all the time. Um, and I thought it would be a great, you know, movie and an even better character study for me as an actor. Yeah, there's a lot to chew on here. And as you'll see as the series goes, we're seeing this, this man at different stages of his life, at mm. different um, vitality, et cetera. But talk to me, like, I mean, you mentioned your personal experience. And that's, I mean, I, I doubt there's a person in this room that hasn't had some direct or indirect uh, relation with someone with Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera. Yeah, it's one of those things, yeah, that a lot of people come into contact with. You're, correct me if I'm wrong, you, you mentioned you know, a bunch of family members, but your mom suffered from this in, in yeah. like the last decade of her, of her life. I right. Mean, and this kind of thing is, you know, it's, it's horrible on the person, it's also horrible on the family members, and it's, it's a hard thing to figure out how to, how to react, how to nurture them, how to be there for them. Was it, was it a tough... Well, it's difficult to navigate um, in certain aspects, but I mean, fortunately, I had a career and I was, you know, financially capable of having her taken care of in a way that was that was great. But the really wonderful thing was um, the place that uh, she spent her last days 
was in the midst of her family. She was in a town where all of her cousins were, my grandfather's uh, sister's kids were, uh, and they were sort of her age and they'd known her for a very long time, so yeah. it was a very nurturing environment for her to be in. And I could go back and forth, you know, willingly because I could afford to do that. So I saw her a lot more than I probably normally, you know, would have, or because she didn't like being in my house in California. Mm-hmm. You know, she would she would come to my house in California for a while. It was okay for her to do that. We could actually put her on a plane and she'd get there. But you know, and I'd get up in the morning. I get up in the morning sometimes at six to go to a golf course. And when she was there, I would come downstairs and she'd be sitting in the in the hallway. What are you doing up? I mean, she bags were packed, dressed. I don't like this hotel. It's like, what? And then I had to wake my wife up because I was going to go play golf. Uh, So I had to wake my (laughs) wife up and tell her, you know, mom's up. Uh, You can get her back to bed or you can feed her or whatever. And uh, it was was difficult watching her do it. Uh, And then there were the lighter moments. I mean, people think, you know, when I talk about she and her sister being together, when they were both in the throes of it, and they would come to my house for like Christmas or whatever, and my cousin would bring her mom, and, and they would be together. And they became like these two kids that were together when oh, they wow. were children. Yeah. You know, they would get their purses and put their coats on and go walk around my yard and whatever, and then they would look at the maids, uh, or they would, they would get up and we would feed them. And then I would go off somewhere, and then the housekeeper would come, and they see the housekeeper and they go in the kitchen and sit and the housekeeper would go, did you eat? And they go, nope. And housekeeper would feed them and then my wife would get up later and they'd see her and they'd go in the kitchen to sit and she'd go, you guys hungry? Said, yeah. <laughs> so they were eating like they were working out, you know. And uh, then when they see the housekeepers later that day, they would go, who is that lady? So they would hide their purses from them. You know, and then we'd have to spend the next, you know, three hours trying to figure out where they'd hidden their purses from these two ladies that they didn't know. Oh, you know, but um, they were they were they were they were a great um, repository of joy and laughter yeah. in there. You know, being together in the midst of that, you know, thing until the light really went out and neither one of them knew who any of us were. Was was your mom able to enjoy some of the, the spoils and, and 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 of your career prior to that? Did she get to see the? Um, she was present and present when I got my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2000. So she was here for that, oh, in LA for that. And um, I don't know that she ever went to a premiere, but she used to come to New York and go to plays. You know, so when uh, my wife and I were doing theater, she saw a lot of plays. Uh, and she owned a lot of the movies, you know. That was those things. In fact, the last time, the last time she actually called my name, I had gone to the home she was in uh, to visit, and she was in the community room, some people watching TV, and I sat down next to her, and I said, hey. And she went, hi. <laughs> Back to the TV. And I said, you know who I am? She said, I said hello. Okay, I know to leave you alone now because she's she was stern, you know. And uh, for some reason, I guess some movie I'd done was coming on, and I popped up on the screen. And she went, on. <laughs> "Sam, you know, so, wow. hey mom." She went, hmm. <laughs> and that was the last time she ever said my name, which was kind of you know it's kind of heartbreaking when I think of it. But oh my God. Ooh, it was that moment, you know, and that was that, and. Uh, 
Yeah, she was that. She was she was that woman though. She was great. You play, as I alluded to, you play older in this. You also play younger in this. Mm. Each has their own respective challenges. Yeah, younger, definitely. Younger is hard. <laughs> yeah. Easy to just put on the, the old hair and the, yeah, the yeah. gate a little bit. Yeah, but. well, you know, put some Vaseline on the lens, you know. Take, <laughs> take the wrinkles off my face, you know. But uh, Jake, uh, Jake Garber, my makeup artist, and I've been talking about this for years, and Camille Friend, who's the hairdresser, uh, I've been talking about this for a long time. So when it was time for me to be that age or old, um, they had the, the, the skill to make that happen. Right. But they also worked with me on Captain Marvel when they aged me down 30 years. Uh, so they knew what to do to make that process work and what company to use to make that uh, de-aging process look real on screen. Not What's like it? that other movie that right. people, didn't look, <laughs> people, people didn't look so young. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to say it either. I was about to. I'm not going to. No, 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 no. no. Leave him alone. <laughs> Leave him alone. Great mm. filmmaker. Even though he doesn't like superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can figure it out. You're smart. Yeah. Um, what is it like to look at yourself like in the mirror when you're like done up in like the 92-year-old makeup and this haggard kind of look? I mean, do you see relatives? Do you rem does it remind you of somebody else? Or is it... Is it... Uh, it's a lot of my grandfather and his brothers. Um, you know, for a long time... Um, I would look in the mirror and go like, I remember when my grandfather was 50. And say, well, he didn't look like this. <laughs> and, and then I remember when I got 60, I said, I remember when my grandfather and his brothers were 60, they didn't look like this. But I mean, time, resources, you know, things are different, diet, uh, my exercise regimen, the people that take the make off, makeup off me and put it on me and the, skin regimens that I've gone through, you know, have, have, have preserved me very well. So when, um, when I do things, I, I generally see the character first after I'm reading it. Uh, while I'm reading, I'll, I'll, I'll start to see a character and say, okay, I, okay, he's doing this. I want him to look like this. Or I've already talked to uh, Camille or Robert, my hairdresser, about the kind of hair I want. Or um, I've figured out what I want his face to be, or if he has scars, or there's something wrong with his nose, or something, you know, teeth, anything. So I start to do things, and I visualize it before it happens. So by the time we got to Ptolemy, and I saw him for the first time when he did him, I was like, ah, okay, yeah, this is right. When I was sitting there, and they were making the pieces for my face. Uh, and we experimented with several different things. I said, that's too big, that's too small. Right. Okay, can I get a waddle down here? You know, you want it to be complete. So um, I was doing all those things. So by the time I saw him, I was completely immersed and ready to go and do it. You know, I couldn't wait for other people to see me and go, where's Sam? <laughs> The, the lifeblood of any actor is their memory. I mean, is to have that recall to be, and you, I know you pride yourself on being off book and not missing a line. Do you find yourself testing yourself? I mean, you alluded to this earlier, kind of like just like making sure you're still sharp and you still got it and you're not, you know, going through sadly what some of your family members had to go through. How do you do that? Well, I'm asking, how do you do that? Like, I guess, well, I may be deteriorating to a point where I don't exactly know everybody's lines verbatim, but that used to be a problem. 
because actors would go, why are you mouthing my lines? Because <laughs> I don't trust you. <laughs> when they call for that. a line, you respond with yeah, their lines. that, you know, but um, <laughs> I still pretty much know everybody's lines in a scene. And movies aren't that difficult, you know? I mean, you go to work, well, what do you shoot? Like three, four pages a day, maybe, right. if you're having a big day, you know? And Two-thirds of those pages are stage direction. Yeah, look over here, walk over there, pick this up, put that down. And you have to learn like five sentences. And if you can't do that, then yeah, it's time to quit. You're also, though, like maybe the most quotable actor in the history of the medium. Like I do have T-shirt lines. Oh, yeah, many. <laughs> yeah, a couple. Yeah. Um, and like the Ezekiel speech, et cetera. Like, do you have that still in your brain? Do you have the Pulp Fiction? Yeah, always just in case. You just well, I mean, it's one of those things that people repeat to me so often, or I have to, I have to hear it and, and tell them, no, that's wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, so I kind of know it in that way, the rote of that. Uh, and then people are always asking me, what's your favorite line from Pulp Fiction? You know, and surprisingly enough, my favorite line is not Ezekiel. What is it? Do they speak English in what? <laughs> what ain't no language I ever heard of. There ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English in what? It's <laughs> a good one. That's kind of the best line. It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about New York City. You're back, back here in New York, and you spent a lot of your formative work years here in New York. You came here 76, do I have that Halloween, right? Halloween night, 1976. We drove into the city. We drove, we were going to stay with some friends of ours that lived on Barrow Street. So we drove into that Halloween parade not knowing that it was a Halloween parade. <laughs> welcome to, welcome to like, the city. Oh, yeah. hey, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were on Christopher Street going, what's going on? <laughs> a drunk nun with a, with a red beard. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you find a community of actors immediately? Did you find work? What were those early years like? Um, the first play we both did, my wife and I, uh, was a play we did at uh, Henry Street, uh, Perdido. Uh, I think I was in one scene in the beginning, and I sat downstairs till the end of the play so I could do curtain call. Uh, and my wife had a bigger role in it. So that was the first play we did. And then she started working down at the public. And um, she ended up being in the first touring company of For Color Girls. So she was the lady in red. So she left town. And I was kind of beating the pavement, doing stuff. And I actually had a real job. I was, uh, I was a security guard at the construction site of Manhattan Plaza. So I used to have to walk around that plaza and turn a key in different <laughs> places to make sure that I had been in places on the, on the construction site. But the first thing they built was the pool. So the construction workers would use the pool when, before they left home. And at three in the morning, I would like take off my security guard uniform and swim in the pool, do laps, <laughs> you know, for like a half hour and then get out and walk around the plaza and dry off and put my uniform back on and turn the key. Uh, and then I was the first guy on the desk at the 9th Avenue building and then at the 10th Avenue building for a while, overnight. Amazing. Before I started to act more. And, you know, when I, I, I um, I'd learned to do all this stuff when I was in college. So 
I would build sets and hang lights and do stuff like that so that when I had an audition, people would say, good luck. Not, oh, who's gonna wait my tables? Why are you going? Right. So I never did you know, wait tables. That's one of the actor things I never did. You, correct me if I'm wrong, you worked with like some of the actors you were working with in, uh, in plays oh, back then. you a specific question about the cadre of actors, did well, 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 I started talking about me. No, I, I love the pool. Like, this is about me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my bad. Uh, yes, when I started working, um, <laughs> I wanted when to pull out When I don't finally work. got yeah. to um, the public theater, um, that was where uh, I met like, Morgan Freeman, Robert Christian, uh, was like Reynolds, friend of mine, Ellis Williams. Uh, I remember when Denzel showed up. Uh, he was an understudy. He was an understudy in this production I was doing of The Mighty Gents that we, Joe Papp had this. Uh, company of actors and we would do a play and we would go to different parks in the city and do that play. Mm -hmm. uh, and Denzel was the understudy for one of the guys in the show. In fact, that guy got fired opening night and Denzel had to go on. He was great. He killed it. <laughs> I'm sure he was. <laughs> killed it. He showed me that review like a year ago. He's like, look what I found, Jackson. I was like, oh, I was like, oh a review of you killing it. Okay. I, but um, yeah, Denzel, uh, a Charles lot of Dutton us. Was, was there, I believe. Was that? Charles Dutton? Was, was he? No, Charles Dutton was in jail. Okay. Then. Okay. Yeah. But eventually Charles Dutton showed did. up later at Yale. Oh, that was later. Okay. So yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. He was, he was, he was incarcerated. Uh, but he wasn't part of that. Um, that, that group of people that I met when I was doing theater here at the, at the Shakespeare Festival or at Negro Ensemble Company. And Charles, Charles Brown and you know, all those people, Adolf Caesar, you know, a lot of different people that I ended up doing a soldier's play with. Right, I was gonna mention that. I mean, a soldier's play, and then soldier's play is adapted into a film, and... So yeah, soldier's story. Right. You're not in the film. Source by. <laughs> oh, we've taken a turn. Don't, it all worked out in the end, Sam. It's okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I guess it alludes to a larger point. Everything which, happens when it's supposed to. Yes. <laughs> which is my point. Like, Not true. <laughs> it did feel like your turn came later than a lot of your contemporaries. Was that, is that, I mean, I think that's accurate. Well, I, yeah, I always figured I was in the right place because, I mean, well, when we were doing, we were doing Mother Courage at the public theater and then Morgan flipped out and did um, um, Street Smart. He right. was gone. And then, uh, you know, Wesley was gone, and Denzel was gone to start his St. Elsewhere, and then his movie career started. Right. Uh, Alfred Woodard was part of that group. She, she, you know, flew out, Fishburne, boom, everybody. So people were going. Yeah. So I figured I was in the right place. It just wasn't my turn. Right. You know, because um, I was, I'm as good as they are, so got to happen at some point. Got to happen at some point. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's got to be smart enough to see if, see I got it. But are you still feeling that in your like late 30s, like 40s? Well, I didn't realize until, you know, it takes a minute to realize that maybe if your eyes weren't red and you didn't smell like beer when you went to the audition, you might have got that job, you know? Right. Or maybe if you didn't like, you know, wake up, roll over, smoke a joint before you got out of bed and decides you were gonna go and do all the stuff you need to do and hit the bricks and be on, you know, do what you do. Okay, but you know, I, was, I was that actor that I was gonna do what I was gonna do and I was always doing a showcase mm -hmm. and I was always auditioning and I was always rehearsing for something. So I was working and doing things. I was just kinda you know, in my own space and in my own head and in my own way doing them. Right. Uh, but something, something about me allowed the lessons and the experiences I was having to stick and be positive influences 
Um, the only thing that wasn't a positive influence for me was my ability to, you know, light a crack pipe in a windstorm. Uh, but everything else was working for me. You know? Which leads us, appropriately, to Jungle Fever. <laughs> so, jung yeah. so Jungle Fever, yeah, come on. The first, thing, the first thing I ever did without a substance in my body. So this is fascinating. Okay, so, Incredible. and we're gonna look at a clip of, of it, if that's okay. Uh, uh, so mm -hmm. the <laughs> Jungle Fever, Spike Lee, who you'd worked with by then, yeah. comes to you. Did he know you were struggling, that you were in rehab when he called? Like, did he think Gator was... Nobody, nobody knew I was struggling. I mean, I was going to work. I had a job. What are you talking about? I was, I was Charles Dutton's understudy right. on Broadway right. uh, because I had been the original Boy Willie in the piano lesson at Yale while he was doing Crocodile Dundee. But <laughs> I thought that, you know... I'm killing this role so much, you know, they got to call him and tell him, dude, we don't need you, you know? <laughs> uh, and that didn't happen. And I ended up being, you know, his understudy on Broadway. So I'm, you know, signing in every night and sitting on the fire escape behind the theater, listening to him do the role that I had done. And we did it very differently. So naturally I was thinking, why is he messing this up like that? You know, and then, you know, and then, you know, the play, play gets pure surprise. He wins a Tony and I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'm in agony back. I'm like, so I would like literally, I would literally go to the theater, sign in, and while they were getting ready to go up between curtain, I would like get on the A train, ride uptown, buy some cocaine, stop at my house, cook it, come back to the theater, and go sit on the fire escape and watch Jessica Lang smoke cigarettes behind the theater while she was doing cat. And I was smoking my crack pipe on the, on the <laughs> fire escape, listening to them do the play and losing my mind. And, um, you know, eventually um, I went to a bachelor party. Ruben Santiago Hudson was having a bachelor party in the middle of the day for some reason <laughs> at the Shark don't, Bar. Don't blame Ruben. It's not I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> at the Shark Bar. And, you know, I drank a, drank a bunch of tequila. I was drunk. It was time for it to be over, and I was like, well, I was on my way home. I got in the cab. I was like, well, you know, I need to level off. So I need to stop by the coke man's house and get this thing together because I got to go to the show tonight. And I went there, went home, cooked the cocaine. Boom, and I woke up. My wife and daughter were standing over me in the kitchen. I was laying on the floor in the kitchen. And um, one of my best friends from high school and college was a drug counselor in Knoxville. She called him. And the very next day, I was on my way upstate to rehab, so that's how that all happened. And it, yeah, it's an insane story, unbelievable. Um, and it leads into, so yes, you, you, you. So Spike called me while I was in rehab. Yes. Let's look at the clip. Let's look, this is, this is, okay, for those that haven't seen this film in a while, um, this is a very, you know, intense scene. This is the last scene of Gator, just a fair, oh, really? fair, fair warning. Oh, this is the Reverend Doctor? The good Reverend Doctor? Exactly, the great Ruby D and Ozzie Davis. Uh, in this. Okay. Uh, let's take a look at, uh, this amazing work. Please. What is all this shit? Where's the money? Why are you tripping like this? Why don't you just give me the money? I told you, honey, you won't find no money in that pocketbook. I haven't got any money. Not the kind of money you're looking for. Twenty dollars? Is that all the money you got? Oh my God! Twenty dollars ain't shit. But I love a sweet taste. Please go! Oh, no. Boy, didn't I tell you never to set foot in my house again? Where's the money? Why are you hiding? Have you lost your natural mind as well as your soul? Didn't I tell you never to darken oh, my door again? Oh, no, 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 Gators, Gators, leave it. He's got his I money. ain't going, going nowhere. All right, all right. I'll put you out. 
See, Mama, if you'd have gave me the money, I'd have been gone before he came back. Now give me some money. If I had any money, I'd give it to you. You got money in this house. Mama, give it to me. This house you want. Take it. Take it, honey. You can You got more money than $20? Look here. You I don't want that shit! I want some money! My own flesh and blood, my firstborn son, and I love you. But you're evil and you're better off dead. All right, all right! Leave! Devil's work you never done. The devil is always busy. Mama, check out this new step. I made this one up just for you. I paid a lot of money for these, honey. Take them. Take them. Sell it. Sell it. Take them. Sell it, boy. For God's sake, please. Go. I'll pray for you, my son. Father, I stretch my hands to thee. think a lot of memories flood back going toe-to-toe -to -toe with no less than uh, a lot yeah a lot of memories watching that uh yeah first one was that the squib slid from here down to my navel and when <laughs> it went off it felt like he shot me it hurt really badly Method uh, acting, yeah. and um for me that particular moment was like the depth of the actor that i had been and the birth of the actor that you have now um, because, like I said, that was the first job I'd ever done without a substance right. in me. So um, I did all the research uh, before I got there. So I kind of knew, kind of knew what I wanted to do. I mean, it was it was it was written very differently. Um, but I told Spike that was there were things I wanted to do that involved my um, interaction with family members and other people and how you know addicts use people. And Gator, Gator literally became the symbol of, everybody had a Gator in their family right. somewhere. Somebody had been in their house and stole something or came and got some money under false pretenses or lost their mind because you wouldn't give them some money and acted up and, because they were addicts. Everybody had a crackhead in their family somewhere. Uh, and people related to it um, and it became a very popular you know, theme. Uh, inside that movie, which was another one of those interesting things that my wife was going through with them because when we went to the premiere, they were interviewing people who were in the movie and they were talking to John Turturro and Annabella and Wesley and all these other people. My wife was like, are they gonna interview you? And they told her, well, we're only interviewing the stars. Right, you didn't get the Cannes invite. And you and won I the didn't award. go to Cannes. I, yeah. saw, I saw Spike at a Nick game and they were going to Cannes the next day. It's like, well, we're going to Cannes. I was like, when? And he's like, well, no, no, it's just 
you know, me and the stars, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was that. And then uh, a couple of days later, I called my agent, and I used to call her, and I would say, Hollywood call? And she would go, no. And, <laughs> and I said, Hollywood call? She said, as a matter of fact, you won some award at the Cannes Film Festival for, for supporting actor. I was like, they don't give supporting actor awards at Cannes. They're like, well, they created one for you. Like, what? And they've never given it to anybody else. So I have the only one of those. Um, thanks, thanks, to, uh, thanks to Whoopi Goldberg, who was uh, on the jury. Oh, right. You know, yeah. And, uh, you know, campaigned for that to happen, and that happened. And um, I ended up, you know, leaving the realm of Spike because he was getting ready to do Malcolm X, and I had been reading with everybody for Malcolm X. And I had a part, but I got a better part in another movie for more money. Uh, called White Sands, and I like took it. Yep. And you know, he and I had a small falling out about that. Uh, and uh, you know, the rest is kind of history because I went from White Sands to Patriot Games to I got a, a couple of movie deal at Morgan Creek. It's funny how Hollywood corrupts you really quickly, you know. Because I mean, I hadn't made the amount of money I made with that movie, which I'm not a big cigar. I made sixty grand for that movie. Right, and then I got to Hollywood, and the next movie was going to be like double that, and then it was like blah blah blah, and I started reading the scripts, and I'm like, I don't work that long for that money. Yeah. <laughs> you get corrupted Standard so yeah. fast. It's like two movies in, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, they're devaluing me. I said, dude, they devaluing you. You didn't, you didn't make sixty grand in like five years, let alone one, you know, let alone eight weeks. So come on. So, yes, I mean, the next the big jump, which is, you know, the most, one of the most iconic roles for any actor uh, is, of course, in Pulp Fiction as Jules. And, and, and that, there's a lot of war about that part that, you know, you had talked to him about Reservoir Dogs, uh, Quentin, of course, mm. uh, that he wrote it for you, but that also you almost ended up losing it. I've heard, like, Paul Calderon. I've heard uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Like, what happened? Did you almost lose the role somehow that you were, that was, Read, that was written for No, nah, they were being stupid. Uh, it, it had nothing to do with me. I didn't lose it uh, when people were coming in to audition. Now, from what I heard, Quentin actually wrote it first for Fish. And I don't know what happened between he and Fish or whatever, but didn't happen. But when I saw him at Sundance, I had auditioned for Reservoir Dog. Right. And when I went to audition, I was expecting to audition with Tim Roth and Harvey Keitel. Tim I knew because I had done a film called Jumping at the Boneyard mm -hmm. here with him, which was his first American movie. So I was looking forward to auditioning with him. And I got there, and there were these other two dudes there that I had to read with because Tim and Harvey weren't there, and they sucked. <laughs> I mean, they were like awful. I left that audition like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I find out later it's Quentin and Lawrence Bender, uh, Bender yeah. the producer. <laughs> I was that dude, and then I saw him at Sundance at the first screening. And I went up to him to tell him how much I liked the movie, and I was like, that movie was awesome. And I said, how'd you like the guy who got your part? I was like, what? <laughs> you remember who I am? He said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm writing something for you right now. And I was like, get out of here. No, yeah, 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 seriously. And uh, I went off, and I'm, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was doing a, a TV movie in uh, West Virginia about the first black cadet to graduate from West Point. And um, this script showed up in a brown envelope 
with a little gangster on the back of it. You know? <laughs> Says, if you show this to anybody, we'll kill you. <laughs> and uh, I opened it, it's Pulp Fiction, and I said, the role for you is Jules. I started reading it, and I was like, okay, all right, this is happening. All right, boom, boom, boom. And I read it like that. And when I finished, I was just, ooh, there's no way in hell the script was that good. Read it again. I read it straight through again. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if they make this movie the way it is on the page, I got friends that are going to love it. I don't know if everybody will, but my friends are going to love this movie, and I'm going to have a great time doing it. Uh, and then, you know, it all played out. But then as they started to audition people for the other roles, people came in. And I guess this one actor came in. Uh, they, they called me in once to do a reading of something because they just wanted to hear how it sounded. And I went in and I did it. And then they started auditioning people for the other stuff. I'm, I, was, I was here doing Fresh, uh, Boys Yaquin's movie. And I heard, okay, somebody came in and blew us, blew us away reading Jules. And I'm like, well, why the hell were they reading Jules if I already got the job? <laughs> and so, well, he asked. I was like, what? You asked the game the whole script? You usually give people sides, you know? And uh, next thing I know, they're saying, well, we don't know, man. We got to, you know, so I'm in an acting contest now. So I'm shooting. I got to get on a plane after I finish shooting Saturday, take the red eye to L.A., uh, and I'm on the plane frantically, you know, writing in the margins of the script, breaking down the speeches, because I hadn't done that, because it wasn't time for me to do that yet. So I'm doing it on the plane, Entirely pissed because I don't know why this is happening. And uh, then I get there and um, they're all gone to lunch. Nobody's there. Uh, I'm sitting in the room waiting and they all come back and say, hey Sam, hey Sam, hey Sam. And one guy that I'd never met before, uh, they were getting ready to introduce him to me. He said, God, I don't need an introduction. Pleasure to meet you, Mr. Fishburne. And I was like, okay, all right. I got him fired from another movie, but that's, that's another story. Uh, that's another story. But um, <clears throat> I go in the room, and um, I, start, I start the audition. They hired a kid to read, and, you know, I'm like, I'm cooking, and dude is getting lost in the script because he's like watching me. I'm like, you're not in the thing. You know, read. <laughs> read. So... Um, we get through the whole audition, boom, boom, boom. We do every scene Jules is in. We do the diner scene at the end, wham. I slammed the script shut, threw it on the desk, left, got back on a plane, came back to New York. So Bender is also the producer on Fresh. So he comes back, and immediately I'm like, what's going on with you guys? You know, you, you, you tell me I got a role, and then you tell me, I have to get in a contest with somebody. You either thought I was capable of doing it or not. And he said, no, it wasn't that. It was just the guy was just so good. But I tell you what, we had no idea how this movie was supposed to end until you did the last scene in the diner. You know, because they didn't know that the speech could be done like two different ways. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> That's why you were so bad in my Reservoir Dogs audition, because you don't know how to act. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I'm sure, I'm sure it happened, it was yeah. fine, it worked out. Uh, and funnily enough, when Pulp was getting ready to be released, when it was shown at Con, I was shooting Die Hard with Bruce. Right. So Bruce got a, a plane. I had never been on a private plane, so Bruce was like, come on, we're going to Cannes. 
cool. So, jump on the plane with him. We go to Cannes. We're sitting there. We're watching it. And we're like, wow, this movie's great. You know, and then we realize that the majority of the people in here don't even speak English. And they're getting it. You know? And Bruce is like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, good. And this movie's going to do great things for you. But Die Hard's going to change your life. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? He's like, mark my words. And sure enough, I get nominated for the Academy Award. I don't win it. Martin Landau. Sam? Sam? Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't get it. And, um, you know, yeah, my life changed slightly after that. But uh, when Die Hard came out the next year, it was the highest grossing movie worldwide. And I took a, like, a huge world tour with that movie. Yeah. Because Pulp wasn't being shown everywhere. You know, people had, like, restrictions on it. They couldn't even show it in London. I didn't, I didn't even realize that. But um, I was going all over the world, and all of a sudden, I was this worldwide star because of Die Hard. You know, Zeus. Zeus became a bigger deal than Jules did. I grew up, like, two blocks from that 72nd Street uh, train station. I remember when you guys were shooting it. It was a big do, moment. Do you? I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that was a big deal. I remember you know, being in the middle of 72nd Street going, wow, we're actually, like, wow, doing this. And I was sitting, I just, I just sat down on the, on the ground at one point while they were setting up some shot, blah, 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 and people were passing by dropping money in, on me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay. I'm the homeless dude. Yeah, hey. I'm like, all right. Side gig. Um, you have too many damn amazing movies. We're going to be here all night, um, but we're not. We can't. So okay. um, just to j- jump around, look, I, I, have, I have to play my nerd card and talk Star Wars for a second with you. <laughs> I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. Only Jedi, to my mind, that has a purple lightsaber. Yes. Contractual? Do, is that just like, how did that happen? I asked George. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in episode two, there's that huge uh, scene in like a, a stadium forum, kind of thing. Stadium. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's all these Jedi out there. And when I was reading it, I was like, how am I going to find myself in this? <laughs> so I said, different color lights. <laughs> so I said, George, can I get a purple lightsaber? They're green and blue. It's like, what? Seriously? That's it? It's like, it's like, no conversation. And then we finished shooting reshoots. I had to fly back to London and said, I want to show you something. He's like, what? And he shows me a purple lightsaber. He said, it's already causing a shitstorm online, so I don't know if I'm going to keep it. And I was like, <laughs> really? Come on. Said, and how do people know, online know anyway? You know, and sure enough, when the movie opened, he was like, OK. <laughs> you get to keep the purple lightsaber. <laughs> because in episode one, right. I never even got to pull it. Good point. You know, it was like, I was sitting there, was like, watching this, like, hey, damn, my lightsaber. The way you, I use it? The way you were eyeing that kid, though, it felt like you were about to pull out the lightsaber at any second. You were I would have heard him. I would have yeah. heard him pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, were, but uh, they brought everybody back, Sam. What's going on? The Obi-Wan trailer just dropped the other day. Is Mace Windu, he's alive with one hand, Somewhere. 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 Yeah, somewhere. Well, that's the same way I think about dude from, you know, Jurassic Park. He's somewhere <laughs> riding around on velociraptors <laughs> with one arm. You know, he's, he's just on the island just right. <laughs> riding raptors, you know. But Should I hold out hope at this point for that's Mace? That's a huge history of people with one hand returning in Star Wars. 
Uh, I asked, I asked, the only person I've ever said that to about coming back was Bryce Dallas Howard, because I, I just did a movie with her, and she directs episodes of The Mandalorian and stuff. So, so you think you might be able to hook a brother up? <laughs> I mean, you like me, right? <laughs> and she's like, I love you, you're amazing. Put me back in this. <laughs> Put me back Put in the me game. In, coach. I'm ready. <laughs> Put me in, coach. I'm ready. You know, I'll learn to, you know, lightsaber left-handed. Come on. Put me up. <laughs> All right, I'm holding out hope then. Um, you've been reprising your role for 14 years and counting as Nick Fury. I mean, Is that how long I believe so. Ooh. Iron Man 2008. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have imagined it would turn into what it's turned into, obviously. Um, well, you know, it's kind of strange when somebody tells you they're going to give you a nine-picture deal. Right. There you go. <laughs> How long am I gonna stay alive to make nine pictures? Because yeah. then, you know, used to take it, it used to take a while to make a movie. Yeah. It still kinda does, but you know, people make two and three of them at a time. So in the Marvel universe, it's crazy. Yeah, because when I was in London just now, yep. I was like Ant-Man and and uh, Captain Marvel 2 right. was happening and we were getting ready to do Secret Invasion. So it's like three Marvel movies on one lot. You know? Right. And I was kind of running around from place to place, you know. I love the cast you guys have assembled here. I mean, you got Olivia Coleman in there. You got Amelia Clark. You got How amazing is that? I mean, you know? Olivia Coleman in a Marvel show? Come on, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman's in. I love Martin Freeman. Come on, Ben Mendelsohn, obviously. Listen, man, when I walked before. in the room and Olivia Coleman was standing there, I was just like, oh, man, this is gonna be so amazing. And she looked at me and we're like, ah. And, you know, we just started laughing, and when we started to work, it was so glorious and such a ball, and not this, you know, serious, crazy deepness, you know, we were just kind of having a good time. She is so amazing and so effective in a scene, you know, it's those, it's, it's, it's those moments that when you're in the middle of doing it, and you feel it, and you watch it happen, that when they finally say cut, all you can do is look at the other person and go, oh my God, that was amazing. <laughs> that was so great. And she's like, you're better than I thought. Like, yeah, okay, that's But she was great. Amelia, amazing. It's like, come on, man. And you walk on a, you walk on a set and you go, okay, that's the Queen of Dragons. <laughs> she's so tiny. She's, she's like tiny. a fairy. She's about, it's like, how do you want to hold her like that? <laughs> you know, but yeah, and Ben Mendelsohn, Ben's, Ben's awesome. He's you one know? of those actors that. So they're just awesome stuff. Don, Don Cheadle, you know, I got Don, you know, that's like my golf buddy. So I didn't realize until we did this thing, I said, we never worked together. We just kind of know each other and we kick it and hang out and laugh and do stuff. And it feels like we acted together because we act out stuff on the golf course sometimes just, you know, because we're having fun doing stuff. But um, we never really worked together. And so then we finally we, uh, get to know, see uh, the two working of you. Together. Nice. Awesome. Would you ever, ever do a DC film? Would you ever play for the other team? Are you too loyal to Marvel to ever consider if they call? Hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all actors and mercenaries. This is what I'm saying. Kind of what we do. So We act for who we act for, you know, but I don't know that I'm, I'm going to read a DC script that, that's going to make me go, yeah, this is dope. Because <laughs> you, ex you expect things to happen because, I mean, I'm a comic book fan, so I've been reading comic books forever. Right. And truth be told, 
I don't even read Marvel comic books. You know, I, I just, I, I kind of look at them and when I discovered myself as Nick Fury, I just happened to see myself and said, what am I doing on Discover? <laughs> and, and that was it, but you know, I put the book back. But um, I've read DC Comics my whole life. Yeah. You know, I mean, we all came through Superman, Batman, you know, Silver Surfer and, uh, and uh, Aquaman, you know. I, mean, the I was a swimmer. So, yeah. you know, so that was all, I, I was all about DC. But I don't know what the thing is about them cinematically. They're a little all over the place. Some work better than others. It's just Marvel has that real formula down. They Sometimes. figured it out. Most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah, <laughs> you go most of the time. Um, congratulations are in order. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, this man is getting an Oscar very soon. <laughs> Long live you And I, I know you've been very honest and open about this in the past and say, like, look, it's... This is the $27 billion man. That's how much his movies have grossed over the years, more than any other actor in the Yeah, history. somebody's money. <laughs> but my point is, you make movies for audiences. You put, I do. You, you, and, and nobody does it better. That being said, what does this feel like to know you're getting this kind of accomplishment from, for a lifetime of work uh, from the Academy? Well, having, 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 having watched as many movies as I've watched and been in as many movies as I've been in, um, there's a thing, you know, as long as I resisted it and continued to say, oh, you know, I'm an actor. I did a lot of theater in New York, blah, blah, blah. I'm a movie star, okay? <laughs> I have to admit it sometimes, okay? I'm a movie star. People, people pay money to come see me in movies. And I think that over the course of this career, I've represented Hollywood in a way that allows them to say this guy epitomizes what a worker bee in this business is. And he may not have been voted by his peers or the movies he's been in haven't been nominated or the roles he hadn't been, uh, he'd been robbed a few times. But uh, <laughs> hey, he represents us in the, the best way we can be represented. You know, he's a shining example of what, if I wanted my kid to be a movie star, I hope he would be that guy, yeah. you know? And I put a lot of S's in seats. Yeah, so it's okay. I'm, 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 I'm honored to get it. And at this point in my career, it's, you know, it's a wonderful thing, I'm okay. You've hosted a lot of ceremonies, different SBs, et cetera, over the years. Have you ever considered, if they came calling, would you host the Oscars? That is a thankless job. I know it is. Yeah, you know, only, only, the only person that, that gets positive feedback from doing that is Billy Crystal. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe Bob Hope back in the day. Right. You know, but no, that's a thankless job. Okay, so that's a pass on that one, okay. Yeah. All right, I got some audience questions for you. Let's see. Wrong answers only. What is the dumbest thing you wanted to be in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction? The dumbest thing I wanted to be in a briefcase? Well, give me your theory. Do you have your own theory on what, what's in the, in the briefcase? No, nah, I know what's in it. Four lights, six batteries. <laughs> heavy as hell. You, g <laughs> you gave us your favorite line from Pulp Fiction. Do you, is that your favorite line from any of your films? What's your favorite line from your films? Ooh. Hmm. I don't know, it's probably something from Long Kiss Goodnight because that's kind of like my favorite movie. 
I always bring this up with you. I'm a, I love that movie. Rennie Harlan, you and Gina Davis. I mean, as, as, as much as people vilify Rennie for that pirate movie, <laughs> and maybe that Stallone mountain climbing movie. Fanger, yeah, yeah. You know, His Die Hard movie was okay. Long Kiss Goodnight was the first kick-ass woman movie. Yeah. I mean, Gina rocked the house in that movie, and some of the stuff that they edited out of it would be in a movie today. You know, she was Atomic Blonde before they knew what, what Atomic Blonde yes. even was. You know, and Shane it Black was, script. It was, it was an amazing, great time. Well, that was the first, like, super expensive script when people start, you know, that's back in the days when Hollywood just threw money and everything. Yeah. You know? Joe Esther has yeah, yeah, yeah. for $6 million. Uh, uh, or $6 million yeah. script here. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, it, was, it was so funny. I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful because I, 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 I kept trying to audition for that movie and New Line would never see me. And I was at a party somewhere and I saw Rennie and Gina. I was like, hey, why won't you guys let me read for your movie? And Rennie's like, you want to be in my movie? I said, yeah. It's like, this is yours. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. It was like, yes. You know, and such a great time. Great but, movie. Yeah, my, my favorite line would probably be one of those minds. Like, you go in a bar and sailors come running out of the room. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> you haven't checked it out. Uh, Check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, my favorite. Yeah, there's a favorite line. Uh, <laughs> if you were speaking to another actor, how would you describe your process in preparing for this role? This one? Ptolemy, yeah. Um... Jeez, um, my process for preparing for it was living with my mom, my grandfather, and you know all my family members. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Um, I'm sure there's a way to get into it that's not that personal. Yeah. But um, you know, it's it's difficult because I'm not a method actor in that way. I mean, I know how to how to how to break a character down. Uh, to sit down and study the words, the relationships, and make things happen. My wife's always said that I have this facility for saying things the right way, putting the right expression on my face, and having you know, the right vocal inflection that makes it work. And it wasn't until I got sober that I could feel it mm. and convey that feeling to an audience. Um, so I don't know. It's, 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 it's really hard to, to help people feel. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is from Junie. Are there any are there any films you wished you had the opportunity to be in? Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Yeah, I would have loved to have been in that. Did you talk like to Clint? Did you have Western any? Ever. It is. It's a perfect movie. Yeah, that would have been awesome. But Hateful Eight's not bad. <laughs> it's a good one too. <laughs> is it true you turned down Mor Morpheus in Matrix? If you go online, you can you say you can see that. Really? Yeah. You know, I had meetings with those guys. Um, before the studio decided they were gonna make it, because I was shooting, uh, I was shooting Time to Kill, so I would catch rides back from Mississippi to LA with all those studio execs, right? And they were like fussing with each other about making this movie, and I was like, Are you guys out of your minds? You gotta make this movie. Well, it'll cost so much, and who knows? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Dude, <laughs> you have no idea what you have in your hands, and if you let this go into turnaround. Somebody else is gonna, you know, make it. So make it. But I had meetings with the then Wachowski brothers, right? Um, several, but I didn't turn it down. They just never offered it to me. They, okay. just kept they, just, they just kept meeting with me for some reason. I don't know. Wanted to talk. Yeah. Um, Stuart wants to know: Does your wax figure at Madame Tussauds freak you out? Which one? Which at, at which Madame Tussauds? Stuart has. Oh wow, that's, a, that's a mic drop. That's well. A <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not sure because I don't know how they do it now, but when they made mine, they literally like came to my hotel for like two weeks and they would measure the circumference of my head and how far apart my eyes were and they had a briefcase full of eyes and they were holding up my <laughs> eyes. And they, they even went into my closet to look at my clothes, you know, so mine looked very well the first the first one that they made in fact i used to stand next to it sometimes on 42nd street when i was uh just hanging out <laughs> i would just stand there when they put it on the street because it's always on the street for some reason right and i would just stand over there you know like i was reading a book and standing around and watch people take pictures with it nobody even noticed i was standing there <laughs> that's amazing yeah um Someone here wants to know what your favorite movie is, but I'm going to twist it because it is My favorite movie that I'm in or my favorite movie, period? Well, I'm going to turn it into this question, which I ask all my guests, and ah. you've you provided your favorite comfort movie to me in advance, and I love, this is so Sam Jackson, I love that you chose this movie. T tell us what you think of when you think of your comfort movie. What did you select? Which one did they tell you I chose? The Raid. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a go-to. <laughs> <laughs> um, why do I like The Raid so much? Because it's awesome. How, how is it comforting, though? It's an intense, for those that haven't seen The Raid, this is like an Indonesian, full-on, like... Well, a SWAT team goes into a building full of criminals, and the criminals lock the SWAT team in the building. <laughs> <laughs> how can that not be happening? You know, that's like, <laughs> that's amazing. It is like, awesome. Um... There's stuff done in that movie that I've never seen before, and I watch, I watch Asian violence a lot right. since I was a young actor when I first discovered the Shaw Brothers, right. you know, kung fu movies, and then they started to evolve and evolve and evolve, and then I discovered John Woo and, you know, uh, Chow Yun-Fat, you know. So when people start talking about the king of cool, I used to laugh and say, no, that is the king of cool. Right. But um, I love those movies, and I just met Garrett. Gareth Evans, the director. Oh, man. Yeah. He looks like you, like a school teacher. <laughs> it's like, dude, how do you make these movies? You know? Because Gangs of London is amazing, too. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, that's a series. You've heard that? Yeah. What do you mean? Well, you no, it's for AMC. It. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah. There's too much out there, Sam. I was busy watching Ptolemy Gray. There's too much crap out there. That's <laughs> a bunch of good stuff that people just miss because, they go, oh, that's violent. But, you know, that's, that's some. That's some kick-ass girls in his movies, too. Spe speaking of the good stuff, what are you voting for at the Oscars this year? What's your favorite movie of the year, favorite performance? My favorite performance was Frankie Faison and yeah. The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, is that the name? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Frankie was, you know, I mean, Frankie's, Frankie's been one of my favorite actors for a very long time, and we did Ragtime together in 1980. Got it. Uh, but um, that movie is riveting from beginning to end, and it's a guy in a room talking to some cops through a door, but Frankie, like, kills it, you know? That's the kind of thing you want to watch actors do, you know, when people start talking about performances, that's a performance, yeah. you know? Do you remember the last audition of your career? Like, and do you know it was the last audition at the time? No. It wasn't a meaningful I moment? No to all that. You don't remember I don't it. remember what my last audition was. Um, it, that wasn't like a big, I mean, it must, I would imagine that's a turning point. I know what my last audition was supposed to be, okay. which was one of those things that really, you know, pissed me off at the time. 
like I said, um, I had just done Jungle Fever and Spike was getting ready to do Malcolm X and I was reading with all these different people. I was like the designated reader for all these people. And then somebody turned around and said to me, okay, it's, it's, it's your day to read four. And I was like, excuse me? I mean, I've been reading with all these people. I think I've auditioned already. And if you're not just gonna give me the job, then kiss my ass. <laughs> uh, so that might have been the last last audition, or <laughs> supposed audition. But no, I don't remember it. I've I've actually gone into rooms and I've had to convince people, you know, at times. Uh, not in a long time, but I think one of the last things I had to convince somebody of was uh, when. Um, they were casting this movie I did called 187. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to go in and convince them that I was the person to be that teacher. Hmm. You know, because it was, a, it, was a, it was a more poignant story to have a person of color fighting with, you know, these kids in this school in New York and in the school in California. It's, like, it's easy for them to be antagonized by a white teacher, but, you know, a guy who's trying to relate to them, help them, whatever, I figured it was a better story. And, you know, turned out to be right. Yeah. yeah. And great relationships in there. I mean, Clifton, another great performance this year, the jockey. I saw that, Clifton, Clifton Collins, right? Clifton Rock. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, talk about, talking about relationships, I mean, I think of, you know, folks like Spike you've mentioned and Quentin. Is there like, I mean, is there any touchiness when they don't call for a particular movie? You mentioned Kung, uh, Kung Fu movies, like Kill Bill, when you're watching that, you're like, why am I not on screen in that? I know you have, I think, a... No, a I read Kill Bill. Yeah. I mean, when he wrote it, I read it. He sent it to me, I read it, and I was like, well, I, I, I guess I could be this guy, but the only person I could really see myself being is Rufus, the organ player. Right. And he was like, oh, okay, it's yours. And that's, you know, it happened like that. Now, right. um, I didn't hear from him for the Hollywood movie, but, I mean, that's what that was. I don't know what was going on. You could have narrated it. Huh? You could have narrated it. Like I did in... Inglorious? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I could have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with it. You're okay, you're doing all right. Yeah. What's the worst stage direction to read in a script? What do you hate to see in a script? Give it advice, advice to aspiring screenwriters out there. What should you never put in your script? Never put in your script. Um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, some actors need that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I don't particularly need it. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm cinematically immersed in stuff. And when I'm reading a script, I'm not only reading it as the character, I'm reading it as an audience member. So if there's something stupid in there that you're asking that actor to do, I will circle it. <laughs> so when I see the director or whoever's in charge, I go, take this out. Yeah. <laughs> this thing shouldn't be there, or this whole conversation should be gone. Um, I don't know, you know, people crawl up their own ass sometimes. <laughs> and you kind of have to pull them back out. <laughs> and, uh, dude, that's way too much. You know? <laughs> I know you want to be the smartest kid in the room, right. but you know, off, you're but the, no. you're, you may be the smartest kid in the room, but you're the worst screenwriter. <laughs> so. All right, let's end full circle on this wonderful uh, show. Do you take a different kind of pride in, in this one? This is obviously your, your baby to a degree. You've been... Um, you know, it's, um, it's different in that, you know, I'm, I've been saying this now. It's like my new catchphrase. I'm, 
I'm having an opportunity to act in this one and not just react to okay. what other people are doing. So it gives me an opportunity to kind of, you know, stretch a muscle that I haven't stretched in a while and to interact with some actors that are emerging. Yeah. Some actors that were just very good already, you know, like Omar Benson Miller plays Reggie. Breaks your heart in this. Amazing yeah. actor. I mean, he came in and, you know, I immediately felt like he was Reggie. You yeah. know, he'd been that dude. Uh, and, uh, you know, Damon Gupton and, um, to, to see Dominique grow as, as many things as I've seen her in already, you know, from Judas to, you know, show me a hero to the deuce, uh, have her, you know, come in and be this wonderful, you know, first bird of spring for me is like, oh, well, you know, really great thing. So. Yeah. I'm enjoying that, you know, just being able to say, okay, I've acted for a while. Now I can go back and react some more. There you, you go. Know? There you go. Well, as I said, um, I can't think of an actor that's brought me more joy on, on the screen. I'm sure I speak for a lot of people here. Um, your work is always exceptional, man. We thank you for your time today. Give it up, guys, for thank the you all. Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, you make me blush. <laughs> Thank you so much. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>